Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 217th episode the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Sophia Berra. Sophia is the founder of Gen Y Planning, an RAA based in Austin, Texas, that serves just under 100 young professionals in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. What's unique about Sophia, though, is that she was one of the first financial planners to launch a location-independent firm, specifically to serve millennial clients, and using an upfront plus monthly retainer model that now averages four to $500 per month for each of her new clients yet uses a one-page financial plan and an action checklist, not comprehensive financial planning software, to deliver ongoing financial planning value to her next-generation clientele. In this episode, we talk in-depth about how Sophia and her fully virtual team help millennial clients navigate the plethora of changes and decisions they face as they establish their careers and their families, how Sophia structures her initial client meetings around goal and value discovery and then putting together her one-page action checklist before establishing an ongoing meeting schedule, why net worth reporting and not portfolio reporting is at the heart of her planning process, and why Sophia eschews more mainstream financial planning software with its long-term retirement projections in favor of solutions that focus on shorter-term goals instead. We also talk about how working with next-generation clients can entail a higher turnover rate than managing portfolios for retirees. Why Sophia is less worried about retaining a stable book of clients than she is about having the capacity to work with people who need her help the most. The way that Sophia is starting to offer established clients new options around how they can structure their ongoing planning relationships as their needs change. And how Sophia's own life experiences drive home just how much the quick fire pace of life changes make a financial planning relationship so valuable for those who are still in their 30s. And be certain to listen to the end where Sophia discusses the deliberate steps she and her team took to prepare ahead of her maternity leave to the point where her out-of-office responder made it explicitly clear that she wasn't responding to emails at all for nearly four months. How she spent the first month after returning from her maternity leave focused on the business rather than meeting with clients, and how she's been able to intentionally build her firm and structure her schedule to make a good living while still having the time to focus on the things that are important to her outside of the business as well. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Sophia Barra. Welcome, Sophia Barra, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Michael, it's so fun to be back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you back. We have just now been in this podcast for about four years. We started in the very beginning of 2017. And so... I feel like we're we're just coming to the point in the podcast where, you know, our, our lives wind these fascinating directions. We never quite know where it's going to go, even if we've tried to plan it out. And and there's some point, I feel like we're about three or four years out. Like you were usually far enough from where you were in the past where you can look back and be like, wow, I am really kind of far from where I was then. And it's fascinating how this journey has taken me to wherever it is. And and so I yeah. I know like you have you have had a, a lot of life change and personal change over the past couple of years. And and even when you were on the podcast, it was kind of a fun waypoint because you had first appeared on Nerd's Eye View blog all the way back in 2013 when you wrote an article about how you had 
broken out from your own firm, launched your own independent REA from scratch for under $10,000. And like, that was the, that was the big like title. And I think became a, a, a thing in the industry for a little while, like how you can launch a firm in under, with under $10,000, which we don't necessarily recommend because it's a bit lean, but, but you can do it and you, <laughs> and you did it. And so well, when you're broke, Michael, you make it work. <laughs> yeah, you make it work, right? Necessity is the mother of invention. So I, you know, like you had launched in 2013 and had what I thought was just a really cool story of here's how I built it and what I did. And you had just this wonderful detail. Like I, I bought this software and like I found this thing for free and I did have to pay for this, but here's what I paid. And like, here's how I brought it all together. Then you would come back to us in 2017 and, and it was going really well. Like you were building into this new retainer style model working with young people, which you know we're talking about more now, but was really out there in 2017. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you had built up to north of $100,000 of take-home pay after just three years of building this model. I think the gross was close to 200 and you thought you were going to get to like net 200 that year. And so now we are fast forwarding four more years. Mm-hmm. There's been more compounding. I've kind of watched from afar. You were doing a kind of a, a location independent business for a while. I think there was a, a point where you were like servicing clients from other countries and just kind of living abroad. I know now you've had some, some business transitions, some life transitions, some family transitions. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm excited both to check back in. Like it's, it's, it's been four years. We never seem to get as much time to chat and catch up as we want to. So now we get to do that in, in podcast format. Yeah. But, but I also feel like just the journey that you've had is just like a good reflection on the reality of just how our businesses' careers evolve, sometimes in ways that we expect, sometimes in ways that we don't. Our own changes and priorities change over time. And that's just part of how you do this journey. And figure it out a little as you go and try to make it work along the way. Yeah. So maybe just to get started, I think a good starting point is is catch us up on just the advisory business as it exists today. Like, what are you doing and who are you doing it for? And, and, and how many of them are there and how many people do it for them? Just like, what, what does the business itself look like at this point? Yeah. So Gen Y planning today is serving about 96 families across the country and we have a small virtual team. So my lead planner, Ashley, is the lead on 25 of those client relationships of the 95. And we've actually moved 14 of those to an annual meeting model. And so then I'm the lead planner on the other 50 something, seven or so. Okay. And I, last time I was on the podcast, I had an associate planner, Alex, who has also been on your podcast, Alex Hoppin, who's fantastic. And when she got pregnant with her third baby and moved to Hawaii, I had interviewed Ashley as an associate planner to fill her role because Ashley was also a military spouse moving from Hawaii to Kansas, which I think is hilarious. So you were just sort of tagging off with Hawaii, like, dear Hawaii, (laughs) I'm sending you one, but I'm taking one back. Yes, except that I ended up hiring somebody else first. And six months later, he went to work for Vanguard. They have awesome benefits and whatnot. And, you know, I couldn't kind of provide that as a small business owner. 
And so I reached back out to Ashley because I, you know, I said, Hey, are you, you know, still interested? And I hired her like a few days later. It was amazing. So I highly recommend military spouses because for businesses like mine, which, you know, are location independent, it's been so nice to be able to you know, give them the location independence that they want to be able to kind of move around with their spouse's career mm-hmm. in the military and yet also not lose a team member because of a job relocation, right? Yep. So Ashley's been on the team since 2018. And then a year later, I hired Keisha Lynn. So Keisha has been on the team since October of 2019, she was a valedictorian from UVU's financial planning program, and she's a freaking rock star. So she started as my client service associate, and we promoted her to a paraplanner role earlier this year. Ashley was promoted from like my associate planner to a lead planner last year. So she started on taking on clients under Gen Y planning. And then just this month, like last week, we are hired our first intern. So now we have an intern as well. So it is four, four of us kind of at the core, you know, Ashley Cash and I last year kind of really solidified a lot of things so that I could take maternity leave, which, you know, we will, we will talk all about, but I kind of looked back and realized that since I launched Gen Y planning, I think I've helped over 250 clients and I've had like over 500 financial planners reach out to me from your podcast or from the article that I wrote for your website, Michael. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. That feels pretty great. Cause last time I was on, I said, you know, I really want to bring financial planning to Gen Y to empower my generation. And it's really cool to make an impact on so many of my clients' lives, but also be able to, you know, impact the profession in some way and be able to kind of move this profession in a direction that I felt like was hard for me to do when I was working within other firms and has been kind of fun to, you know, break out and do my own thing and not realize that, you know, it was going to also help inspire others to launch their own firms or others to, join a company that they, you know, hadn't thought about or, and now I get to kind of create my own ecosystem, right. And create these roles for Ashley and for Keish and now for our intern that I wish existed 10 years ago in financial planning. Right. And didn't, and I couldn't find, I told Ashley, if I would have been able to find your role, I never would have launched Gen Y planning. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so just like creating what I desired so much, is really fun too to really kind of decide that I'm going to create these roles that didn't previously exist in this profession or were few and far between. So talk to us a little bit about the the clients and the business model itself. You know, part of the big discussion, particularly when you joined us four years ago, was you were you know, you were building a so-called Next generation clients you're building with millennials, right? For mm-hmm. anyone who missed it, like the firm's name is literally called Gen Y Planning. So pretty out there about who you're going after from a clientele perspective. So catch us up in that regard. Like, is that still the clientele you're working with? Is the business model still a, a monthly subscription fee model? Or has the clientele or the business model changed and shifted over the past four years? 
You know, it's interesting. It's actually pretty similar to when we talked four years ago. It's still an upfront planning fee. It's still a monthly retainer. I've actually experimented a little bit more with lowering my upfront planning fee and increasing my monthly retainer. So the last few years, I've really been working on increasing my recurring revenue so that that is more sustainable and it's less focused on having to like land the next client, which in 2017, it definitely was like, I needed to like land every client I could so I could, you know, bring in more revenue. And I was definitely in hustle mode at that time. But now what's nice is that right now, just kind of like an average client, I would charge $1,500 upfront and usually four or $500 a month to work with, with a new client usually a little higher for a couple, usually around 400 for individuals. And then Ashley is able to charge $1,000 up front and $250 for individuals and three or $350 for couples. And so basically, Ashley, I think at the time I was taking on two new clients a month. Now Ashley's taking on two new clients a month on average, and I'm taking on one new client a month just at a little bit higher price point. I tend to work with our higher income earner clients. So I would say in terms of the demographic of the clients coming to us, they're aging as I'm aging, Michael, (laughs) which I I feel like is really fun. So I would say the majority of our clients are in their 30s. So a lot of older Gen Y, younger Gen Xers. And then we have a handful of clients in their 20s and a handful of clients in their 40s. But I would still say 80% of my clients are within 10 years of my age still, which is kind of what we talked about last time. It's what happens to most of us advisors. You know, Some of us aim, well, older in particular, because we end up being younger advisors that specialize in, in retirees. But outside of younger advisors targeting retirees is essentially kind of a niche or specialization unto itself. Almost all of us end up working with basically ourselves plus or minus about 10 years. It just because it's 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 who we know, it's who we get. Like it's really yeah. easy to design services that are useful and meaningful for them and the right messages that resonate with them and and the right pricing and offering to deliver it to them. Cause you literally just make what you would buy, which works well because you understand you really well. And so you end up finding other clients like you, which is usually similar age, similar stage of life, similar socioeconomic environment. And it's your natural social circles usually anyway. So it's even natural marketing to do it. Yeah. So then talk to us a little bit more about just what you do for clients, right? You, when you say just like $1,500 up front, four to $500 a month ongoing, which amounts to five or $6,000 a year, what does a 30 something get for five grand a year that you know, makes it worthwhile for 30 something at at five grand a year if it's not necessarily focused around portfolios and investments. Yeah. So I think, you know, your thirties are when a lot of people are going through big life changes. So a lot of our clients are getting engaged, getting married, having kids, moving, relocating, you know, landing a new job, getting a bonus. And so with that comes navigating through their company benefits, rolling over 401ks, starting Roth IRAs, knowing when when to pay off their last of their student loan debt, 
figuring out, you know, how much home they can afford. Should they refinance their mortgage? You know, all of those questions that are kind of top of mind for them are things that we're really addressing with those clients. So we tend to do two big meetings up front. One is more of that discovery meeting, you know, about their goals and values. And then the second meeting is usually about a month later where we dive into really putting together their action checklist. So instead of doing these, you know, 50-page financial plans that I joke only you can understand, Michael. I'm, I'm there. I'm like, give me, give me the book. I'm going through every page. I love it. Yeah. You, you know, you want all the graphs, all the charts. But, you know, for a lot of our clients, what we found really helpful is to track their net worth and show them how their net worth is changing over time while while they've worked with us. And that has been really instrumental. So instead of focusing on our investment growth, you know, how much has my portfolio returned last year? You know, that's really not a question that our clients are are asking. They're wondering, should I refinance my mortgage? And, you know, can we afford to take this vacation and pay off our student loans, you know, so they're kind of juggling these multiple financial priorities, you know, and what should we be doing for retirement? We don't even know. So, you know, I would say that second meeting is where we deliver the initial planning recommendations. And that is usually, we really like to start with what are some like quick wins that we can actually knock out with our clients on the call with them. So maybe that's, logging into their 401k plan, having them do a screen share and helping them rebalance their 401k. Maybe that's setting up a Roth IRA at Betterment. Maybe that's, you know, really kind of guiding them through a couple of those action items so that when we leave them with the rest of their action checklist, they're more inclined to start implementing the rest of those things as well. And I'll actually provide to you, Michael, you know, our one-page action checklist that we have clients complete. We now do this for our meeting recaps as well. We use this. And it's a nice way to show, you know, here's your current net worth. Here's how your net worth has changed since our last meeting. Here are your top financial goals. Here are your action items that came out of this meeting. I've had Keisha Ashley sitting in on my meetings the last year. And so what's been really great about that is I'll have somebody take notes in the meeting and then we'll debrief after the meeting for 10 or 15 minutes and they'll send out the meeting recap immediately after the meeting. So all of that work is kind of done. A lot of my time in my early days was just set spent like putting notes into our CRM and, you know, figuring out where we were. And we switched to using Trello a few years ago. And Keish has really worked on like streamlining our processes and created a really great meeting prep process and what she asks the clients and what we still need or what we need to gather on the call because they didn't give it to us. And so we're really able to do a nice meeting recap that clients are very clear on what they need to move forward on. And then sometimes our check-in meetings, if they haven't done, you know, many of their action items, we might say, okay, we want to focus on these two things at this meeting. You know, let's, you know, we'll knock out those things on the call. And so it's really fun to be able to be on their team to help them do that. And then, so basically when we land a new client, after those first two meetings up front, we tend to meet with our clients every four months or so. So we usually meet with clients four times the first year and then three times going forward. And sometimes that'll stretch out to six months, you know, depending on what's going on in their lives. 
In addition to that, we review their tax returns. So we found a lot of tax planning opportunities for clients as well, whether it's maximizing, you know, an HSA or doing Roth conversions or whatnot. And then we also do a company benefits package review, which we have a lot of dual income couples. And so, which I didn't know was weird for a lot of financial planners, but I feel like for a lot of traditional financial planners, they're still used to working with like breadwinner clients. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our, I mean, almost the majority of our clients are like dual income couples, oftentimes earning similar incomes. And so really taking advantage of their different company benefits can be a game changer for them tax-wise as well, right? So if we can take advantage of an HSA and an FSA for childcare and taking a look at the ESPP that the other person has, right? Right. And you know, we're, we're going to consolidate you onto this person's health plan because yes. we can jam more into the health savings account over there and just all the, all the different ways you can mix and match across benefits when you've got a couple who both have some companies with good benefits. Exactly. And so that's been huge for our clients. So I think that's one of the ways that we provide a ton of value, tax planning, you know, connecting them with other experts in our network, whether it's somebody for life insurance or a CPA or an estate planning attorney, you know, that adds a ton of value. And then really being on their team and and being their accountability partner and helping them move forward on certain action items that they're feeling stuck on and showing them like, here's how your net worth changed since we started working together. You know, I just had a client meeting today where we checked in with a client and when they came to us, I think they had over $30,000 in credit card debt. And that was a year and a half ago. And now they have 5,000 on a 0% interest card. And at the time they were contributing 3% to their 401k. And last year, one of them maxed out their 401k. And this year, both of them are on track to max out their 401ks, you know, and this is like happening in a year and a half. This isn't, right. you know, a 10 over 10 years, like, oh, if you just increase your 401k by 1% a year, it's like, no, our clients are, you know, using their growing their incomes very quickly. And with that, we are able to say, now that you are making $20,000 more a year, let's shift that to your financial priorities. And they're really able to kind of turbocharge their financial goals, which is fun. To me, it's, that's always been one of the interesting things around working with folks, particularly into their 30s and 40s, maybe a little bit less so in, in our 20s because just career is still getting going. But by the time you get into your 30s, often like you you kind of picked whatever career industry you're going to be in. You've been doing it for a while. You're starting to get a little bit of momentum. You get to that point, you're starting to get raises and promotions and you know climb the career ladder or the corporate ladder, wherever it is you are. And just, you get some big, big raises, like income lifts yeah. up a lot, which means you don't necessarily have to help people. You get out of debt by saying like, okay, we're going on a, you know, a 90 day purge of, of blasting out all our spending and going to super frugal lifestyle. Cause you got to dial it back. Like it can be as simple as like, Hey, I got an awesome idea. When you get your big race this year, let's not spend that. Right. Like totally keep doing what you're doing, but just when you get the next raise, let's like only spend half of that and book the other half into savings and a few years of big raises. And all of a sudden you can have someone that has a huge savings, right? Just cause in three years, they got 30% raises and they only spent 10% of it. And now they're saving 20% of income Yeah, just out of the new dollars as they grew. Exactly. And one thing we talk a lot about is streamlining, simplifying, and automating. 
And so that's what we really help a lot of our clients do. And, you know, that's how this particular couple was able to increase their net worth so dramatically. It was this combination of paying off debt aggressively and strategically, building up emergency savings for the first time and getting on track for retirement. And we're doing those all simultaneously, right? And we're automating it. And so now when they're 0% interest card is up in June, they already have their automated payment set up. So they're paying, you know, $1,100 a month until that's paid off. And then we're immediately going to be able to redirect that money to their other financial goals. And, you know, it's just really fun to, to see people's, to see people's lives change really dramatically and see their stress levels go down and, you know, help them achieve things that, they just didn't realize how they could be optimizing their financial situation in the ways that we're able to, because we understand tax planning. We understand the benefits of compound interest. We understand how this credit card debt was like severely working against them. So it's just really, it's, I mean, I love it because I love, I just love seeing people really see the value and benefit so much from it and see these net worths go from like, Oh, you had a negative net worth when we started, you know, I had a client that had a negative net worth when we started working together. And five years later, her net worth is three quarters of a million dollars. Wow. You know, it's just like, what? Like that's possible. That's, that's life changing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and now she's buying a condo in San Francisco, you know, and it's just really fun. So me understand just in terms of structure, you talked about putting together this, action checklist that queues up at the the second meeting of the new client process, first meeting, get to know them, second meeting, or action checklist in lieu of a, a big old 50-page financial plan, just kind of get down to one page of, you know, here's your goals, here are your top action items, here's what we're going to focus and work on between now and the next meeting. So is is the action checklist just a first meeting thing as sort of like this is the plan, as it were, or is this like your your every meeting thing. Cause you were talking about having like progress on net worth on this as well, where it yes. sounds like this is basically just your, this is the equivalent of your meeting agenda. Like your one pager that is just comes back for every single meeting with here's how your progress is tracking. Here's what the goals are we're working towards. Here's the action items you did and here's what we're working on. Yeah. So we used to have a second page, which we sometimes still include for that that initial like financial plan deliverable. But now it is just like our one page meeting recap is our financial planning deliverable for every meeting. And so we're all, they know they're getting that. We're all on the same page. They know what's on their to-do list. Sometimes we check things off that we get done on the call. And that has really been helpful in people seeing the progress they're making as well. So I guess a couple of follow-ups on this. One, like just how are you actually creating this thing? I'm sort of envisioning like a giant series of Excel documents, in like a template where you drop in updated numbers and each client's got their own file with an Excel template and the latest numbers. Like, is it, is it something like that or are you building it some other way? Like just how does this actually come together in practice when you're using it for every meeting with every client? Yeah. So we actually have an Excel sheet of their net worth in their Dropbox folder that we share with them. And we have them like update their net worth tab for the meeting. It's a one page PowerPoint in which our team kind of grabs the pertinent information 
that we need for that. So they'll grab their net worth, they'll update those numbers. And then we give them their action checklist. We print it to PDF and give it to them at the end of the meeting. So I guess a few follow-up questions. I'm just trying to understand how this works in practice. So I was wondering, how do you how do you track their net worth to be doing it? And is this like a you know, account aggregation solution or something else? But I think you had just said like, no, you just have a spreadsheet with their net worth as an Excel document in a shared Dropbox and they update their net worth. They sure do. Yep. So we ask them to update all those numbers. And I know that, oh, I could use e-money or I could use like Money Guide Pro or all these things. And yet... You know, Sophia, you could use like <laughs> e-money or Money Guide Pro or one of these things. Then like the sinking always breaks and inevitably somebody's mortgage or student loans don't link right. And all of these, like I keep wanting to come up with a good tech solution and I haven't found one that one, everything aggregates like it says it's going to, and two, that looks pretty. (laughs) And I say that because I cannot handle the reports that these financial planning softwares print, like spit out. And I don't understand why they don't hire more people on their design team. I'm like, you have all these engineers and you have all of these financial people, but you've invested no money in, you're using clip art from the nineties to like put on these reports. I cannot show this to a client who works at a tech company in San Francisco. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I cannot show that to them. So I just used an Excel document. Or a client who literally wasn't alive when that clip art was made. Yeah. And like, and so I'm just like, okay, update some numbers here. Like everybody knows how Excel works and just can plug in some numbers and that's fine. Or they're like, can we do this in Google Docs? I'm like, sure. And then I just have them update a Google Doc or a Google sheet or whatever. Right, right. But the other thing that I'm frustrated with this is like a whole other rant about why I still don't use financial planning software, Michael. But the other thing is a lot of them can't do historical net worth. So I cannot show you since you become a client, your net worth has changed this amount over time. It's like, they're only like, Oh, here's your net worth right now. Like, or you can log into your portal to see your net worth. And I'm like, great, but they don't remember what their net worth was six months ago. You know, (laughs) like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, to me, it just, it's, it's the frustrating reminder that at the end of the day, like the, the roots of financial planning software was you show a client their current trajectory because you know, it's going to be not on track because you know, that you need them to do something different because the something different they have to do is a thing you sell, right? Like, yeah, we showed people they had life insurance shortfalls because we sold life insurance and we saw them, they have retirement shortfalls because we sold investments in retirement accounts. And we show mm-hmm. them they have education shortfalls because we sold 529 plans. And like it, it, you know, the software to me is just still very built to queue up a, you know, moment in time point of sale. Cause the only time you ever went back to an existing client was because there was something new to sell them. So it had nothing to do with how they progressed since the past. It was only about what is the current gap we're going to sell into in the future. And and I know like our advisor world is moving away from that. Thank goodness we're moving into a more advice-based ecosystem. But, you know, just that framework where you only ever project a plan from where you are going forward because you're trying to show a gap from today so that you can put a solution in for today because that's what we got paid to do. 
Like it's just, it, it's hard coded into how the software is built that, yeah, something's seemingly straightforward. Like, wouldn't it be cool to just be able to show the client how their net worth has evolved and changed over time is still remarkably difficult to do in a lot of the software packages. And some of them are starting to build some tools for it now, finally, but it still doesn't necessarily go backwards. And as you noted, like the output is not always the most visually clear and appealing because they kind of jammed it into some other screen. Right. And I feel like we just all spend time, you know, manipulating what we want the numbers to look like anyway. Right. So like one certain clients, it's like, Oh, I want them. I, I just remember, you know, working at other firms and, Oh, we'll change the rate of return to this or change inflation to this or make, you know, show them retiring at this age instead of this age or whatnot. Like we're all just like making these numbers, you know, and we assume that their income just goes up like 3% a year or something. Right. And so, so many of my clients, they're having these dramatic shifts in income, dramatic shifts in, you know, life changes. And the software just isn't that helpful to be able to show that <laughs> or predict that, right? Like, <laughs> well, and I was gonna say, I mean, do you, I mean, do you literally eschew these tools all together? Like, do you ever end out in a world where just, I, I want to project out what their, you know, current savings and growth rate is going to be to see whether they're on track for retirement or if they need to save more, or if only just to say like, you know, you got to save this much a month to retire. And we figure that out because we put in a financial planning software and do the projection. Like, does it even come in at that level or you just literally don't do that with clients because it's not helpful? Yeah, I don't invest in any financial planning softwares. I do have a retirement projection that a friend of mine built me in Excel that I still think is the most helpful with clients because we can just talk through it on the call, plug in the numbers, and then show them. And I'm assuming that's basically just like you save this much a month and it grows at this and it makes a chart. Totally. Exactly. And I'm like, great. That's what they needed. That made sense to them. If you want to retire earlier, you're going to have to save more. Great. <laughs> because it's just a recognition of, look, you're in your 30s. Like, we can set this path, but we all know it's going to be so different in 24 months that, you know, the fact that you have a habit of spending less than you make and saving the rest is what matters, whether you're saving X dollars a month for a vision 37 years from now when you've only been on this earth for 30 years is not really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And like show them, here's why it's important that we max out your, you know, Roth IRA as well, you know, or here, here's why we're doing backdoor Roths because your income is increasing pretty quickly. And so just you maxing out your 401k actually means that we're not saving that, that high of a percentage of your income now that you're making $350,000 a year. Right. And so you would also mention using Trello as part of your process. So for those who are not familiar, like what is Trello and then how literally are you using it in the in the business? Yeah, so we are using it internally. We are not sharing boards with clients. So that's one way that some people are using it is they can then like share, you can share your board with them. We haven't gone that far yet. Instead, we have kind of an internal process that we use. And we basically took like all of the categories of financial planning and created columns for each of those things. So investments, insurance, estate planning, tax planning, those types of things. So think of those as 
laid out in columns. And then we have cards for like, here are all of the investment accounts they have. Here are all of the insurance documents they have. And then we can kind of note very quickly, does this client have life insurance or where are we in the life insurance process with this client? So we can just open the life insurance card or see right there that it says $1 million, 20 year term policies in place. So it's kind of like an extension of what I guess a lot of us would probably use our CRM system for where you're gathering all the client documents in one place, but as opposed to gathering them in the CRM or simply putting them in, in a digital client file, where it's just a, either a big old list of documents or maybe like folders and subfolders, you're organizing them visually with Trello boards for each client so that you can see in one board spatially organized, like here's these documents, here's those documents. You can visually navigate to them very quickly and you're not, you're not sorting through giant lists of documents or nested folders to get to them. Exactly. And we can also link to those those documents in Dropbox very quickly if we want to see that specific thing. So now we have a card with their net worth that's on that in Trello, but we have a link to that, their net worth statement in Dropbox. So I don't actually have to go to Dropbox for things anymore. I can just go to Trello and my team can prep things taking the information that the client put into Dropbox and organizing that so that, you know, we can find it very quickly and it's organized. I think that one of the problems as you continue in financial planning out of your first or second year is, you know, how do I find information quickly for those check-in meetings, right? Like, what did we do with this client? Where is that information now? Where are we at with this thing? And so that was something that was like really difficult in a lot of traditional CRMs is there's just like blocks of client notes. And so like, what are you looking back at like five years of client notes to be like, did what happened with insurance? They ran quotes here. Did they put those in place? Did they not? I don't see the statements in their folder. However, they could have gone, they were shopping around different, you know what I mean? Like I just... Uh There was all of that. So Trello has been like the best way for us to streamline and simplify our client prep work. Cash will send an email to the client when prepping for the meeting saying, here were the action items that came out of your last meeting. Please let us know where you're at with each one of these things. And clients will say like, haven't started estate planning, increase my contributions to my 401k to 10%. Yes. You know, like they'll kind of go through and then we're able to see like, okay, which are going to be just action items we're adding to the you know, meeting recap again this year, you know, you know, this meeting, right. Versus, oh, they already did these things. So we don't need to talk about that again. And so do you use a CRM system at all or? For my prospect calls. So I'm still using less annoying CRM for prospect calls. And then when they become clients, they get moved to the Trello board. They get a board. Interesting. And so I just, for those who aren't familiar, cause it's not, it's not really like a popular industry CRM. Yes. It's, it's really called less annoying CRM. It is less annoying CRM.com. If you're yeah. curious, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. So gets us.com slash 217 for episode 217. So you are using less annoying CRM, or I think they go by LACRM for short. You are using LACRM for for your CRM system, but only when their prospects just to track, I guess, the, just the sales process. Like 
Yeah. You know, when was the last time I was in touch with them? Are they moving forward? Am I sending them an agreement? When is our next meeting to check in, et cetera? Yeah. And then basically once they say yes and become a client, they're moved. They kind of, then their new home is Trello. And so that has been really helpful as well. And so then just like every meeting, every note, all that stuff in the future just it gets accumulated on on the Trello board with a growing number of meeting cards for all the meetings that happen over time. Yeah. And so we actually, instead of organizing it by like, here's a card for this meeting, we actually take the notes in the card that is applicable. So for example, it's 2021 now. We've been doing a lot of backdoor Roths for people or IRA or Roth IRA contributions. So we'll note that in their, you know, let's say they have a Betterment IRA set up. We'll note in the card like made $6,000 IRA contribution for 2020 on the call. And then a note for us to convert that to Roth the next day. And we can now do that on our side through Betterment as well, which is awesome. So then help me understand, I'm, I'm just going back to kind of overall what we're doing for clients on an ongoing basis. So a little bit more upfront, but but the core ongoing is three meetings a year, approximately every four months, you know, give, or, give or take client scheduling as usual. Yeah. So every meeting, like there's an action checklist where we've updated their net worth. We've identified whatever the action items are that we're working on so we can check in and see if they got through them and figure out what we're going to set next. You had mentioned you also do targeted, like there's a tax return review, there's an employee benefits review. Is that outside of these meetings or is that like part of the meeting cadence? Like in our first meeting of the year, we'll look at your tax return. In our third meeting of the year, we'll review your employee benefits. Yeah, it's outside of that. So usually we send a fall reminder to clients saying, hey, for many of you, it's open enrollments. You know, open enrollment is coming up. If, you know, please send us these things if you want us to review your company benefits. And then Ashley has a template that she put together to help clients with open enrollment. And then she will schedule like 30 minute meetings with them if they're are if they have a more complicated situation or whatnot. Some clients are just like, here's what I'm thinking about doing. It's the same as last year. You let me know if they're here are some notes of changes, you know, in my company benefits. So yeah, so that's separate. Okay. And so as you go through all that stuff, you know, I feel like it it cues up sort of the the infamous question that we still hear so often around advisors on the on the monthly subscription model, like Meetings every four months, you know, maybe a, a few additional touch points in between on tax return review or, or annual or, or company benefits review, mm-hmm. but you're charging monthly and a you know and a not small number at four or five hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. So, like, how do you think about or how do you explain or do you get questions about like, Sophia, we meet every four months, but you charge me every month. So I, those people don't hire me. (laughs) So like the people that are really stressed out about like fees or like servicing them a certain number of times are usually don't become clients to begin with kind of self-select out. And I would say a lot of times, you know, I talk to my clients about like, you know, this is kind of annually, it'll be $6,000. We break that into a monthly amount of $500 per month. You have unlimited email support with me and my team. If you want to do a budgeting meeting with Ashley, you can. So, you know, some clients may elect to do things like that as well. And we also 
really are are there for our clients when they're going through big changes. And, you know, that's that's ultimately what a lot of advisors, you know, where where clients really get their their value too. So if a client is going through a refinance, we may be refi- you know, emailing back and forth with them quite a bit for a few weeks, right? Versus, you know, at other times it may be, you know, and maybe they just had a baby and they're overwhelmed with a bunch of other things in their lives. And so, you know, we're not hearing for them for three months. And then all of a sudden it's like checking in on a bunch of different things, right? Like, should I set up a 529 plan now? How do I do that? And we send them an email that shows them, you know, here's Utah's 529 plan that we really like. And here's the, you know, what we recommend. And so just kind of being there to to help them navigate those changes as they come up again, I think is super helpful. And, you know, we've had situations, we had a client couple this year whose CPA like had them file as like married filing separately. And we basically were like, you need to have your CPA like file you as like married filing jointly. And it saved them $10,000 on their taxes Mm -hmm. because one made 250 grand a year and one made 50 grand a year, you know? And it was like, (laughs) I don't know why that was the recommendation from the CPA, but we had them redo their return and like we just made them 10 grand, right? So there's going to be certain years where we're going to get big wins like that for clients and other years where it might, you know, they might be also spending money doing estate planning, but it's it's knowing that if they wouldn't have hired us, they wouldn't have got that in place. And that was something that was bothering them that they, you know, they had a kid two years ago and they knew that they should get their estate planning documents done and they hadn't gotten to that yet. And so they were really grateful that we had an attorney to set them up with and connect them with to move forward on that. And I guess, as you've noted, like there is, in practice, there is a pretty powerful self-selection mechanism here, right? Just if, you know, if if you're expecting to get monthly calls for for this monthly fee, like it it ain't going to work out. And as long as you're clear up front about what you do and what you don't do, they they just self-select their way out. But I feel like uh, you know, sort of viewing it from the other end. I guess just the whole point is you like you end out with clients who you know who want you there when when they need you. Yeah, like just they know life's happening and stuff's coming at them because a lot of that happens in your thirties. They just want to know you're there when you're there, and they're going to call you when they need you. And short of that, like you know, I, I guess I still think of some of those like the doctor, like the relationship with the doctor, like. You know, I do pay my health insurance to have access to my doctor anytime I want. I don't actually expect to go every month. In fact, I'm rather happy that I don't go every month. But I better be able to get an appointment when I need one. (laughs) And that's my expectation. I think the other cool thing about growing the team has been, you know, when Ashley first came onto the team, she wasn't sure if she wanted to take on clients. You know, she had had two kids and was just getting back into financial planning. She had been a virtual paraplanner in the past. And I was like, okay, you know, like, let's just see how these things go. And I had her start sitting in on meetings and she realized like, oh, Sophia's clients I can relate to. Oh, these people are like my age. Oh, they have like Mm -hmm. questions that my friends have. Oh, this is interesting. I want to help them. Like I'm excited about working with these people. And so when I would say, hey, you know, these clients could really benefit from like diving deeper on their monthly spending and kind of going through a budget. Would you mind meeting with them? She'd be like, okay, sure. Yeah, I could do that. You know, and so I started, she'll tell you, I threw her to the wolves into budgeting meetings, right? 
And so I was just like, you can do it. You're fine. I hate budgeting. You'll do great. You know, like <laughs> here's the deep end. Just take, take a quick little jump. Yeah. And so, but she started doing these budgeting meetings with clients that many of them found really valuable. And so suddenly I realized, oh, my client retention was improving because I was losing some people that I wasn't diving deep enough in their spending on. And yet they were able to get that from Ashley. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Like, this is great. And then about about a year ago, Ashley started taking on clients under Gen Y planning. And I was able to feel comfortable saying, okay, I really need to charge more on a monthly basis. And now I can send certain clients, certain prospects or certain, you know, clients Ashley's way or transition them to Ashley at a little bit lower monthly fee you know, instead of just losing those clients, right? So we're actually in the process right now of some of our existing clients moving them over to Ashley who need more budgeting help or who need more like 30-minute meetings to kind of get done some things on their action checklist that maybe we aren't getting done and they aren't getting done on their own in between meetings. And so we're still evolving and figuring out, you know, how can we better serve our existing clients? How can we better serve new clients? And so now I have less, you know, I really want to help everyone, Michael. You know, that's one of the reasons why I can't, I can't vet like prospects because I'll just be like, I want to talk to everyone. And so my team's had to do that for a really long time. But now we're able to say like, here's another option we have and here's, you know, how we can work with you in a way that we think is really going to benefit you as we get to know them. And so having done this model for now, coming up on almost seven years since you, since you started down this road. Seven and a half. It's crazy. (laughs) I am curious, just what do you find is, is retention for clients? You know, I think I feel like there's been this big question mark out there from a lot of people of just what is the retention rate for monthly subscription models? And so having you know, having done this long enough to get a pretty good baseline, do you have a sense in in practice or or maybe you track it more directly? Like what is the retention rate? look like? Yeah. You know, I don't know exactly because I don't track it. And again, I probably should, but I'd say a lot of clients are with us like anywhere from like a year and a half to like three years, you know, so our client contracts are now 12 month contracts, but they go month to month after that. And people can, you know, leave at any time. And I would say like the first, you know, 12 to 18 months is where we do a lot of the heavy lifting, right? And that's where we're really kind of trying to make sure they have their protection planning in place and they're investing and they're saving for retirement and they're paying off their debt and building up savings and whatnot. And so we're still exploring, like, how can we better work, you know, serve clients after that? And that's where at the end of last year, at the end of 2019, I wanted to increase some fees on existing clients But I also wanted to give them the option of basically keeping their fee the same and moving to an annual meeting schedule. And so I ended up moving a handful of clients, increasing their fee on to be able to still meet with them three times a year, have unlimited email support and whatnot. Some of them, their, you know, their fee stayed the same, but I was just meeting with them once a year instead of meeting with them three or four times a year. And then some of them, we we moved a handful of them to Ashley as the lead planner as well. So I think we're kind of gearing up to, you know, to do that again is figure out, you know, 
kind of graduating some people, I would say, into like, hey, you did follow all of the recommendations. Like, I think we just need annual check-ins and you'll still have us for email support and whatnot if there's things that come up. You know, I think that's still evolving and I don't have a great way of saying like, here's what my retention is. But, and I definitely think, you know, it's very different than like a traditional model where these are your, your clients that are going to kind of grow old with you. But I think that, I think that there's a lot of people that need a lot of help the first few years and then they kind of get it and they learn and then let's move them to an annual. And if they go through a ton of life changes again, then we'll revisit their, you know, their fee model or the, the fee that they have. And we'll figure out if they need to go back to like a three or four meeting a year system. Well, and I, I think it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting mindset shift that on the one hand, relative to where so many advisors are, and I guess just where the industry has historically been, as you know, like we, most of us, we, when we get clients, it's like, it's clients for life, right? Like, awesome. I got a new client. So they should be around for 30 years or so. And, and we, we just kind of take it on assumption and on faith. That's, that's how it works. And I like, I think it's striking that you're making the point, like maybe we just even need to get out of that mindset of clients. You get our clients for life that just you know, this is a model where you work with clients, you help them for a period of time. And then after you've helped them for a period of time, they move on. And, and I guess on the one end, like, I think for a lot of us, that feels stressful to say like, so basically I'm always going to have to be out finding new clients. I never get to a point where like, I've, I got my hundred clients and they're going to stick with me for the next 30 years. And aside from just one or two a year, that attrition out, I'm good and I'm squared away. But I suppose the flip side of it is, there's also just a bajillion young people who don't have an advisor and need help for the first times. So like it, it is kind of a, a really untapped blue ocean of people to get, even if you're only going to work with them for a few years and, and then they're going to move on. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really fun working with new clients. So like, you know, we lost more clients in 2020 than, you know, than we did in previous years, you know, just because of a variety of different things, different life circumstances and whatnot. But it was also kind of like the new clients that we landed in 2020 were, are like really awesome fits. Like we just love working with them. They get what we do. They appreciate our help. We're, you know, we really, they make a lot of progress. We show them how their net worth has, you know, really grown since we've started working together. And so, so for me, I think there's still this excitement of being able to work with new clients and the idea of like not taking on any new clients anymore. I'm just not ready. And so, but I'm also not ready to like say goodbye to like a bunch of existing clients. So I think, you know, that's where we're still putting our heads together as a team and figuring out like, how can we still have maybe an annual meeting service option for some of our existing clients who still aren't ready to say bye to us. But at the same time, like we were like, here's your one action item that came out of your meeting. Like you've done everything else, you know? And so just to, to kind of be able to serve them at a price point that they, you know, will keep them around. And at the same time, like give them access to us and not take up too much of the team's time so that we're able to focus on new clients. And yet they're still able to get their questions answered as needed as well. So, you know, again, we're still figuring that out. And I think like that's 
exciting too, because now I'm figuring that out. I'm figuring out, oh, this is how you can have clients for five or six years. Sweet. Like maybe I'll have some of these for 10, you know? Does it stress you the idea that just you're, you're going to be in ongoing recruiting new client mode on an ongoing basis for the indefinite future? Like is, is that stressful or, or is it like, no, 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 that's actually part of the fun. Cause you, you, you like the new people and the new challenges and the new flow. Yeah. I think I like the, I like the newness of it. I like that it keeps it interesting and exciting. You know, I love hearing people's stories, Michael, you know, that's what really attracts me about this profession is like, I get to know these people in such an intimate way that a few other people in their lives have insight into and to really like see them reach their goals and achieve their dreams and change their lives in really dramatic ways is, is fun. And so I think that it's not as stressful as it was. I would definitely say the first five years were there was stressful of like, I need to land the next client in order to like make sure all my bills are paid <laughs> was a very different feeling versus like now the business is self-sustaining and, oh, and I ran some numbers for you, Michael, in terms of kind of where I left off from 2017 as well to give you some updates there too. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you walk us through just how, how has it progressed from a, a revenue or income perspective? Yeah. So I think in 2017, when we left off, we were at like the beginning of the year and I had just in 2016, like net around a hundred grand. Like I was like right there. And that year I was like 2017, I'll probably like, you know, gross 200 and or whatnot. So I ended up grossing 243,000 and netting 148,000. Okay. And in 2018, I grossed 313,000 and net 197,000. Oh, and 2018, I also took like, that's when I hired Ashley. And I also took 50 vacation days that year. That was the other important thing to note. So hired Ashley, took 50 vacation days, and still at that point, grew gross revenue from 240 to 313 and grew the net from 148 to 197. Correct. Yep. Good year. Good year. Yeah. Right. Like now we're talking real money. <laughs> like I feel like yeah. before you were like, okay, $60,000. Got it. You know? And, mm -hmm. and so in 2019, I grossed 368,000 and I net 266. Okay. And so just getting to that new scalability point. So got Ashley on board, have more team, can handle more infrastructure. So I'm just like glancing at the math here. You're basically all of the growth from 2018 to 2019 dropped to the bottom line. Yeah. And I hired Cache that year as well. So that was the thing was like, okay, Ashley swamped now. We got to hire Cache. We need somebody else prepping for meetings now that Ashley is going right. to start leading meetings, right? And in March of that year, I put all of my stuff in storage and left for four months abroad. And so 2019, I was actually, I say houseless instead of homeless. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it implies it, 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 Relevance <laughs> distinction. Relevance <laughs> distinction. Okay. And so let's see, I did this program through remote year that was a four month work abroad program. And so I spent the month of April in Santiago, Chile, the month of May in Lima, Peru, the month of June in Medellin, Colombia, 
and the month of July in Mexico City. And then I took a fifth month to spend two weeks on the East Coast, two weeks on the West Coast, and then came back to Austin. Wow. Yeah. And then met Brian at the end of 2019 in November. And so that was like kind of, you know, a busy year. And again, my goal that year was like, was I really wanted to net like 250,000. Like that was, and so to hit like 266 was awesome. Yeah. And so that had been a big goal. You know, the 100K goal was a big goal, you know, leading up to to that and being like just hitting that barely in like 2016 felt really good. And then right. netting 250, you know, it was like first, like, can I gross 250K? Right. And then it was like, okay, and now how do I net 250K? And then last year during a pandemic, I was like, no idea what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. You know, and so it was kind of one of those weird, it was obviously a weird year for everyone. But also I found out I was pregnant in February of 2020. Uh, Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And so it was a very wild time because I had just moved in with Brian. So let's see, personally, what was going on behind the scenes is Brian and I moved in together in January, found out I was pregnant in February, got engaged in March when the pandemic hit, got married in on the 4th of July, went on a month-long honeymoon. It was a road trip through Colorado, took two weeks off for that, and then worked from the road for a couple weeks came home from that, moved next door <laughs> to a two-bedroom because we were living in a one-bedroom bungalow together, moved next door in August, had a baby in October, Theo, and basically went on maternity leave at the end of September, had a business planning meeting with my team in January, where I slowly started kind of phasing back into work, bought a house and moved across the street in (laughs) mid-January this year. And now, you know, own a home in Austin with my hubby and my baby. And life looks very different than it did a (laughs) few years ago when I was on your podcast. Yeah, that's a... So on the one hand, I'm like, that's, that's a heck of a, just a journey unto itself. And, and the, you know, the other part of me hears that and it's just sort of thinking like, and this is why when we're in our thirties, we often need a lot of financial planning advice because life comes at you pretty fast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so Business-wise, I really started having like Keisha or Ashley sit in on all my client meetings. We all started taking better notes in Trello. We just really figured out like, what do we need to do to get ready for me going on maternity leave? And, you know, from a, a gross income perspective, my gross ended up being like slightly higher in 2020 than I did in 2019. So it went from 368 to 380,000 for the year. And my net was just slightly lower than it was in 2019. So my net in 2019 was 266 and my net in 2020 was 258. 
And that was mainly because I was paying my team a little more. <laughs> like yeah. I, I was like, okay, like I, I bumped up my team salary when I was, you know, Ashley and Keisha's income when I was on maternity leave. Cause guess what? They were doing a lot more work. Like Ashley was running a firm. She didn't think she'd be doing that two years ago when I hired her, you know? Oh. So yeah. And you know, I was, so I look at that and I'm like, I was able to take four months off cause I had three and a half months for maternity leave plus two weeks for my honeymoon. So I took off, I didn't work for four months in 2020 and I made, still made a quarter of a million dollars. Like that's insane to me that I figured out a way to make that happen. (laughs) And when I say like, didn't work, Michael, I was like out of my email inbox. Like I was not checking in and so I literally like got back in January and and declared like email bankruptcy, meaning I just marked all of my emails as read and archived them. Wow. Like that that doesn't <laughs> it, it gives me anxiety to hear that. <laughs> declared email bankruptcy. That's that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. And so I had an out of office that was like Hi, I'm on maternity leave. If you need to get a hold of someone at Gen Y Planning, here's, you know, Ashley's running the show while I'm gone. Here's her email. If you want a quote, talk to Ashley or Kaish. Kaish will be reaching, you know, it's just like I had their emails there. They knew that I was not going to be getting back to them. And, you know, and every basically once a week, Ashley would pop into my email inbox. And if there was anything pertinent that she needed to deal with, she would deal with it. But usually they had reached out to her. Sometimes there was a weird like compliance thing that she would be like, okay, I'm, you know, emailing Jim about this. But I, I really, I think the other thing was like, I trusted my team. I hire well and I trust my team. And I also, I guess I should say I hire well, I train them, and then I trust my team. And I think that there's, that I'm, I've really enjoyed creating a virtual team over the last several years. And oh, the other thing that's cool about having a military spouse as your right hand person is she was like, I'm basically pretending you're deployed during this time. Like, <laughs> Ah, so like she, she even has a familiar mental framework for dealing with these situations. Like, okay, it's like you're deployed and I just got to deal with everything for the next few months until you come back from deployment. Okay, got it. Yeah. And so what's funny is that like, actually, now we're going through growing pains again, because I told her, I was like, Ashley, I'm sorry. Like, I'm still, you know, my email inbox is a mess now and I'm still kind of getting back into it. And And it was really nice. January, I kind of... I went back to team meetings with the team and kind of working on the business, had some meetings with our compliance consultant and, you know, CPAs and stuff. And, and so that work on the business where we realized, oh man, we need an intern like right now, not just a summer intern, crap. Then it allowed me to kind of get ready for going back into client meetings starting in February. So last week was actually my first week back to client meetings And, you know, and we're all kind of figuring out like what, what parts are we doing? And, oh, we need an intern to sit in on my meetings on these days and Ashley's meetings on these days. And, and I told Ashley, I was like, it's kind of like when your husband's back from deployment, but he's still not taking out the trash and you just have to remind him to take out the trash. (laughs) She's like, you need to email this client, Sophia. They emailed you three days ago. (laughs) Like, oh, crap, that's my job again, you know? 
Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I got to do this now. All right. Yeah. But it's, it actually like went really smooth and, you know, it's really interesting because three years ago, Michael, I couldn't have done this. Like I didn't have the right team in place. I didn't, you know, I had a right hand person, but I didn't have like Alex was doing a fantastic job, but she still wasn't taking on, you know, client meetings at the time. She was busy prepping for meetings and I hadn't really grown to the point where I needed her to take on new clients yet. Right. Whereas like the next year was really when I was like, oh crap, I need help taking, I need somebody else to, to deal with all these leads I have coming in. And so, you know, it was just kind of like everything, you know, I hired Ashley in October of 2018. And then exactly a year later, I hired Keish in, you know, October of 2019. And, you know, it's just kind of figuring out that I really needed to put that, that team in place of a lead planner with, you know, a, an associate planner or a client service associate type role was really instrumental in being able to take maternity leave because, you know, it just, even a year ago with, you know, without Keish or having her, you know, be new would have been really hard for me to be gone for that long. And instead I really, you know, I got 14 weeks to be with my, my little man and he's just such a sweetheart. And it's so, it was so Mm. fun to be able to get that time. And then to also like have January to have another four weeks to kind of transition back to like, Oh, also moving and hiring a nanny and figure you know, figuring out all of that stuff was, you know, just transitions to take time. And, and so, you know, we're still kind of getting there, but man, I really thought four years ago that I was going to have to merge with a bigger firm where I would have like back office support in order to be able to do something like have maternity leave. And so in retrospect, like it, it wasn't about being merging with a larger firm and, and sort of the resources that that entails. It, it really just came down to having enough people to keep the systems running and having at least someone who can just, who can take the client meeting. Yeah. And, and also having the clients get to know that person, you know, having Ashley sit in on my client meetings for a year and a half before she was actually meeting with those clients was really great. And having people get to know Keish on the team and and seeing her face in meetings and seeing her email. I think that really helped smooth the transition as well. Yeah. I guess the other question I just have for, for all of this, like where do $500 a month Gen Y clients come from? <laughs> that Google. kind of feeds this whole machine and, and the growth and makes it all work. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, Michael, it's still Google search is a lot of it. You know, I still have clients coming from, you know, entering financial planner for Gen Y and Gen Y planning popping up. Right. So I'm still getting a lot of clients from Google search. I'm still quoted quite a bit in Business Insider, you know, or CNBC or whatnot. And I'm still a member of NAPFA. So sometimes they get clients through them. You know, it's really interesting. There's a few pieces of press. Like I was on this, there's a blog called Money Under 30 and my like 2014, I was named one of the 
top financial advisors for millennials on that blog. And I still get traffic from it with like still get prospects reaching out from that article that, that they like updated, you know, more recently, but that originally I was on it from like seven years ago, which is crazy to me. Yeah. And, and I would say like, yeah, there's just still a steady flow of prospects. It's definitely 2020. I had significantly less prospects than I did in 2019, but still enough to kind of keep this machine going, keep the ship afloat. So it was kind of a rough year, particularly for working age millennials, which are sort of at the ground zero for a lot of the job disruption, right? You know, if, if, yeah. For better or worse, if you're working for with retirees, portfolios recovered relatively quickly and layoffs were not the problem. So granted, a lot of other bad stuff happened last year, but just from a pure economics perspective, you know, retirees weathered this better working working age folks. It was on average far more disruptive to household finances. So yeah, I guess when you're working with people who are paying from income and unemployment rates spike, that may slow down your growth a little at least. Yeah. And yet I also feel like I'm so surprised how many, just how quickly these young people are growing their careers. You know, we'll have people like 20 somethings who are making six figures, their first job out of college working at Apple or Google or Facebook. And that comes along with company stock and lots of company benefits and they need help navigating through those things. So it's also been really interesting to realize like, wow, the questions that that this generation is asking are just so, so different than previous generations. Well, and, and to me, it also just, it, it makes the powerful point that when you, when you take a different business model into a different set of clientele, like the, just the opportunity set is that large, right? Like I, I don't know any advisors offhand that get, that get a steady flow of new clients by coming up in the search results for financial planning, financial planner for baby boomers. Yeah. Right. But like you're, <laughs> you're literally driving material business off of financial planner for millennials, financial planner for, for Gen Y. And, and, you know, you had said this even in 2017 when you were with us as well, that the, the primary source of new clients was Google search. And like, I don't mean this in a negative way, but like, it's not even the most complex Google search. Like, no, <laughs> you know, financial planner for generation with 80 million people. That's what's crushing it for you. Now, you know, note for anyone who's listening, like wouldn't try to optimize around that keyword at this point because, you know, Gen Y planning's had to stake it out for seven years with better SEO. So you might want to get more targeted. But <laughs> but like just recognizing you know, that this is what happens when you, you know, when when you build businesses in blue oceans and not red oceans, right? To use the analogy, you know, so many advisors fighting for retirees. And, you know, yes, it's good business and they can pay pretty well and they stick around sometimes for 20 or 30 years. Like there's, there's some pluses to that, but the minus is it's really competitive. There's a ton of advisors going after those clients and it's hard to show up for them. And when you get into a segment that has almost no one serving them, you can get down to financial planner for Gen Y, like literally driving new clients who pay thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. And it's, you know, Michael, do you remember when I started this and we would talk about it at conferences and it was just kind of like baby boomer planners, like people didn't get it and they didn't understand like why I didn't have an office and like, what do you mean? I Aren't was you worried if you call it Gen Y planning, <laughs> you will exclude 
baby boomers with million dollar portfolios who won't give you their their dollars, Sophia. Like you're you're going to blow up your business by having such a specific niche on your website from day one. Yeah, I mean, there was there is that there was that I didn't have an office or like that I didn't you know have you know people couldn't shake my hand. Remember that was like a big thing, and it's just because. Well, I feel like we've only lightly glossed over that. Like, it's not just that you've been moving around and your and your team is is virtual. Like, the business is virtual. The clients are virtual, right? Are you still a hundred percent Zoom meetings or whatever your platform of choice is? Yeah, I, I was. I think I've been using Zoom for five years now, and a bunch of my clients were like, "Hey, we used Zoom with you first, and then the pandemic hit, and now we're using it at work." So thanks. I already knew how to use it. <laughs> so, what surprised you the most about building the business? You're now, you know, ten plus years in the industry, seven years of of building Gen Y planning. What surprised you the most as you look back on the the journey and how it's evolved. How many people were paying attention to what I was doing has just like completely come as a shock. <laughs> so like the number of people that read the article that I wrote for you, Michael, and the number of people who listened to the podcast in 2017 and the number of people who, you know, now launch businesses with a very similar business model to mine because they were like, oh, well, that's really cool that Sophia is doing that. Like, I, I think I could do something similar and we're able to like serve their niche really well because of it. I, I'm just like continued to be shocked by people kind of, I, you know, I just feel like I was kind of like doing my own thing because I, again, couldn't find a job doing it at, <laughs> I, I could get a job in a back office, but I, I really wanted to create something for my generation and it just didn't really exist at the time. Well, and, and again, to me, just a lot has changed it just even in the industry over the past seven years, you know, there, there's a lot more out there now around subscription model and working with next generation clients and even just sort of generally like, Millennials are more 30-somethings than 20-somethings, so the dynamic and the environment is a little bit different. But when you were launching this in 2013, uh, I mean, just like you were in an entirely alien space. Like no one was there talking about subscription models for millennials at that time. Yeah, it it was just such a different time. Like, And then it's really funny because... Now, other people have been like, oh, yeah, obviously, like, there's, you know, money to be had by, like, working with millennials. And I'm like, that was not obvious when I launched. <laughs> like, It was like, I don't yeah. know if this is going to work. <gasps> Again, I told you, you know, I launched with zero clients and zero assets. It wasn't like I was, you know, at another firm and able to kind of break off with you know, 20 of my own clients and 3 million in assets and, you know, have a little something to start with. I didn't have that experience. I had to literally get a client at a time. And yeah. And at the same time, like there's 80 million millennials. Like we, we still have so many people to serve and so many people to help. And I think that there's one of the things that I'm excited to see is now we are, there is a new emphasis on, you know, diversity in this profession and serving more of a diverse client base. 
And I'm so excited to see that. And I'm so grateful for that. I mean, a lot of my clients are first generation or immigrants or married to someone who is from another country. And it's been really fun to help people from, from all over and hear their money stories and, and figure out like, you know, a lot of times they were the first person in their family to go to college and they really, the success that they've had has been instrumental for their families and, and to just really help people in a profound way is like changing their whole family story. And so, you know, it's really moving and, and yet, you know, we need more people to serve, serve these groups, right? We need more, like, for example, I, you know, I can name on one hand how many Spanish speaking CFPs I know, and yet one out of every four people in the U.S. speak Spanish in the home. And so just the need to have more Spanish speaking CFPs is huge. And yet, you know, to serve their communities. Right. And so, you know, those are some of the things that I'm starting to see now that I'm getting really excited about that our, our profession is really behind on, you know, and has really been behind on for a really long time. And it's really cool to finally see like the BLX internship start where they're working on getting, you know, pairing black and Latinx interns with financial, financial planning firms like mine who are fee only and I'm just so excited to see these things happening in our profession that it felt like just so long to get there. And yeah. And so I still feel like it's just still this, you know, it's still this profession where there's just so much room for growth still that, you know, like, look how many conferences are virt- went virtual this year that like would have never gone virtual. Right, Michael? Yep. You know, so like things like that that are happening. So it's, it's to me, I just feel like there's so many more people we can help. There's so much more room for growth and room to learn from what other industries and professions are doing and applying that to ours. And yeah, I I mean, I just feel really, I feel really grateful for my team. I feel really grateful that Genwai Planning is still going seven years later. And at the same time, like, I don't know what this will look like three years from now, 10 years from now, you know, like, because things are changing really quickly. Things are changing in tech. Things are changing in, you know, the needs of our clients. And so I think that that there's still just like these huge opportunities, especially in like the financial technology space to to, you know, help even more people or for us to, you know, figure out group coaching, group financial planning, that kind of thing. So yeah, still like, still really excited about what's next for this profession. So what was the, was the low point for you on this journey? Whew, man, Michael, there are so many. (laughs) I launched my firm when I was 29 and, you know, I wrote that first post for you when I was still married to my, to my ex. And when, you know, when I really was, you know, six months into this profession and, you know, little did I know that like six months later we would be getting separated. I'd be moving from my in-laws basement into my parents' basement at age 30 you know, there was just so, I, and, and I was just determined to not have my business fall apart just because I felt like my personal life was falling apart. And I think that there was just a lot of heartache in 
you know, in 2015, you know, 2014, 2015 for me. And at the end of 2015, I moved to Austin. I moved from Minneapolis to Austin. And I think that was like a big shift in kind of this really starting to create my ideal life. And it, you know, it's just been such a, a crazy whirlwind. And I, I definitely didn't feel like I didn't know if it was going to, I didn't know if this business was going to work. I didn't know if I was ever going to be a mom someday. I didn't know if like, I didn't know if I would meet another partner, but now I can honestly say like, I am living my ideal life. And if you would have told me like in 2014, 2015, like you're gonna, you're gonna hit some lows and it's going to be hard, but like life is going to get really good. I couldn't even imagine my life being this good, Michael. Like I couldn't even imagine being this happy. And I, I just feel super fortunate. And I really think, feel like things had to fall apart to really to choose intentionally how I wanted to put them back together again. And I think if you're, if you're listening to this and you're going through a hard time, to just know that like, that is just for now. It is not forever. You know, what I love about what I've created at Gen Y Planning is like, none of us work full time. Like all of us have decided we want to work like 25, 30 hours a week. And that's good, you know, and we want to have lives outside of Gen Y Planning. And I tell my team, like your job is to take care of yourself first and your family second and our clients third. And I think that is a big shift in any firm that I worked at and any, any job that I have. And it's, you know, this is the longest job I've had anywhere, right. Is creating it myself. But I also wanted to create something that was sustainable and where I wouldn't burn out, you know, and I had a job working at a fintech startup where I was working 50 or 60 hours a week. And I, and I pretty much burned out after a year. And I promised myself, like, I would never do that again. Like, yeah, there were maybe some 40-hour weeks, 45-hour weeks when I was really into Gen Y planning. And now, like, I really value my time. And I want, you know, now I work Monday through Thursday and I I have, you know, my, my mom watches my baby Monday mornings and I take mm-hmm. Monday afternoons off to, to be with Theo and... I take Fridays off to be with him and my client meetings, you know, I prep for my team or I have a team meeting on Mondays or we prep for the week and my client meetings are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays and just like designing my schedule so that I have Fridays off and designing my schedule so that from 1230 to two every day, I have a lunch break and I can feed my baby and I can have lunch with my husband. And I literally like, Ashley was like, why don't you block off this time on your calendar every day? And I was, because mm-hmm. I was like, one of the things I enjoyed most about maternity leave was being able to eat lunch with Brian. <laughs> I was like, oh, I actually really enjoy that. And she was like, why don't you just schedule a lunch break? And I was like, in seven years of running my own business and being in charge of my calendar and my schedule, it never occurred to me to literally block off. <laughs> a lunch break. Like, I know it's so funny, but it was like such a game changer for my sanity. I love the, the, the frameworks that though, that just sometimes things have to fall apart first to figure out how to put them back together again, intentionally. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot of this was percolating on the professional side for the few years before that, where I was, I wanted to stop living for my two weeks of paid vacation, right? When I was working at traditional firms, I was just like, why do I only get two weeks of vacation? This is dumb. (laughs) You know, and then I got this job working at a startup and I was working remotely with all these clients and I was like, oh, you know, I really like working virtually with clients. Like this makes a ton of sense. And so it was like, oh, okay, that, more of that. And so there was things that I was kind of planning professionally so that when I launched, you know, Gen Y planning that I was already, you know, I didn't have any money to hire staff. So that cut my expenses and I didn't, couldn't afford an office space and didn't want an office space because I liked working virtually. So that cut expenses, right? And so there were some of those things that, you know, I was setting up just so that I would be able to travel more, right? So that I could, but I didn't know that I would move from Minneapolis to Austin. And I think that like getting divorced made me realize like, I don't want to be in Minnesota. Like I've, I've dealt with snow for 30 years. Like I'm done. Like I'm done with snow. But yeah, I think like, that was kind of, I I was starting to change all of these things in my business. Like I was starting to kind of change these different things in my life. And like the last thing I needed to change was my relationship. Like I knew I was like, I couldn't just kind of dive into work and kind of ignore what was happening in my marriage anymore. I really was like, okay, I've launched this business. It's, you know, going the direction I want it to, but you know, this relationship, like, you know, we're going different directions. And I think that that was really, that was really hard, but it also allowed me to say like, what do I want for me? And I realized like, I hate the cold and I want to live someplace warmer, you know? And so like that I visited Austin and I loved it. And three months later, I moved here with two suitcases and a laptop bag. But I, I would say that you know, sometimes just these low points can really be such a gift. And at the time, I did not see them as a gift. I thought it was awful. And, you know, and yet I feel like they were such learning moments and they have, I'm able to connect with my clients in ways that I couldn't before. And I, and I also like just am so much more appreciative of, of this life that I have, because it just was not, it was not always this easy and fun and exciting and whatnot. It was really challenging and difficult. And so I feel like I'm also able to be there for my friends who are going through hard times. So what advice would you give younger or newer planners coming in today? You know, they don't, they don't get to pick up where you are. They got to, they got to start closer to where you started. You know, what, what advice would you give to someone who's coming in and getting going today? Yeah, I think just being hungry to learn as much as you can wherever you're at. I think that sometimes with our first or second job in financial planning, it can be really frustrating because you're not doing exactly what you want to be doing or what you thought you'd be doing when you entered this profession or whatnot. And, And I know you know, I've heard you speak, Michael, about how it's really like your third or fourth job that like gets mm-hmm. you to kind of figure out like, okay, this is more of what I want to be doing. And know that that I still think that there's a lot of value in getting that experience of working with with a firm 
where you can really learn a lot of skills there and you can maybe finish your CFP classes or you can get meet your experience requirement there and get to use your CFP marks. And, you know, I think the CFP is still really valuable in a lot of ways. I think that getting the the classes done, getting some experience, and then also reaching out to your ideal, the ideal firms or the ideal companies where you want to work and, and getting to know people there. So as we wrap up, this is a, a podcast around success. And, and one of the themes is success means, I think, both different things to different people and sometimes different things to us at different ages and stages of life. And so you're, as you noted, kind of get, getting to that threshold of personal success where we're more dollars in income doesn't necessarily materially change the situation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm wondering just for where you're at now, like how do you define success for yourself? Yeah. So success for me is being able to really help my clients in a way that allows me to make good money. So for me, I think quarter of a million dollars a year feels like a really good threshold to be at. So, you know, I'm making a quarter of a million dollars a year. I think, you know, working 25 to 30 hours a week, you know, to be able to spend that time with my family on the weekend and also be able to be location independent because I really love travel and that's a huge passion of mine and one that Brian and I haven't been able to do as much together as we want. And that's something that I think is really, you know, the thing that we're really looking forward to doing as a family. So it's being able to both have that balance between, you know, having that six figure income while doing meaningful work that we feel like is like aligned with our purpose and having time for our family and being able to like go on adventures still. That really feels like success to me. I like that, how that lines up, like having a good income, being able to do meaningful work aligned with purpose, having time for family and still being able to go on adventures. Yeah. I mean, again, like 10 years ago, this was the stuff I started dreaming about. You know, I was listening to podcasts that were business podcasts about location independent entrepreneurship. And I was like, I think I want to do something around like helping people with their money. And I also want to work with my generation. And I don't know if there's an overlap there or not. Like literally like back in 2009. And, you know, I, that's what I was like. I was like, I don't know. Like, can you do that? You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Amazing how much it shifts over over 10 years and and still having decades to, to go. You know, I, I guess per your point, like I'll know what this looks like in 10 years been a heck of a lot of change from the past 10 years. Yeah. And I think like, that's the thing. It's, it's that these things turn into way bigger than we ever could have dreamed them to be. And that has been, I think the thing that has surprised me the most. Well, thank you so much, Sophia, for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Michael. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. 
Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com. 